Today's guest is Scott Mitchell. He has been a student of the Bible, Bible history, and Bible mysteries for 40 years. He currently pastors at Grace Family Bible Church in Seguin, Texas, and he is the host of Bible Mysteries Podcast. Scott, thank you very much for joining me today. It is great to be here, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, let's just start with this. Are there secrets in the Bible that the world doesn't want you to know about? Yeah, I I really believe there are, Jeff. Uh, the, The Bible is written in such a way that a lot of people find it hard to understand. Hmm. And um, that's been a common statement for many, many years, uh, centuries. And we find that the Bible was written somewhat cryptically for a reason. And it, it has to do with the origin of things and what God is dealing with. He had to hide some truth from people who were trying to undermine his plan, which has to do with Satan and fallen angels. So it's written in a manner that this creature can't figure out what God's purpose is. And so that's why there's a key to unlocking it. And Satan does not want people to figure out those things, those hidden things, but God does reveal them and they can be understood. So you're saying that God wrote the Bible in this way to hide secrets from Satan and the angels. And it also kind of sounds like Satan has decoded it. He figures things out somewhat, but he doesn't understand the real end game, or at least he doesn't believe it. So if God prophesied something uh, and it has to do with Satan and his demise, Satan doesn't believe it's going to happen. He thinks he can overcome it somehow. So, but the, the key thing was it all sort of hinged around the, the death of Jesus Christ, because that was a prophecy from the very beginning in the book of Genesis that the devil was trying to stop from happening. And if he had known what was going to happen, he wouldn't have crucified Christ. If he had known what that would have resulted in, he thought he was killing the son of God and ending his risk to the devil's desire to have a throne on this world. Mm -hmm. But in reality, he, he actually undid himself by inciting the mob to crucify him. Yeah, that's interesting. So are you saying that the Bible itself is purposely hard to understand also for Satan? I mean, I know it's kind of cryptic, but it seems like it's, as you said, also, it's hard for us humans to understand. Satan's origin is one of being a, a, a cherub, uh, mm-hmm. whose name was Lucifer in the past. Mm-hmm. And he was considered full of wisdom. So he was a bright creature. He was an intelligent creature before he rebelled against God in the distant past. Mm-hmm. So God worked it out so that he couldn't figure out what he was doing before he did it. Mm-hmm. And now after the fact, he can see it just like anybody else can. But it's another thing about the the, the crypticness of the Bible. You might recall that when Jesus was alive teaching in Israel, at a certain point, he began to speak in parables. You've heard of the parables Mm -hmm. of the Bible. And um, he didn't do that the whole time. He spoke openly up to a certain point when a statement was made by some religious leaders who opposed him. And once they made that statement, they made it clear that what they committed was something the Bible refers to as blasphemy. And so, From that point forward, he started speaking in parables, and he said it was to hide the truth from those who did not believe. Hmm. He gave the answer to the believers, 
but to the unbelievers, they couldn't figure it out. So it's the same idea, whether it's Satan and his fallen angels, or whether it's men who oppose the truth, they're never going to come to the understanding of the Bible because things are spiritually discerned amongst those that believe. God gives the answer to those that believe. Do you believe that the earth was originally created by God for the angels and not man? That's right, which is not to say that God didn't have in his mind foreknowing all things because he's God, exactly what would fall out. But the Bible talks about the fact that when God created the earth in in, uh, Isaiah 45, it says he created it to be inhabited. And uh, it also says in the book of Job, chapter 38, that when he did this, he uh, that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And those those are references to angels. So they were shouting for joy because he was making them a place to live. We, we oftentimes hear about the beginning of the Bible where it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And most of Christianity takes the next verse as though it's saying, and here's how he did it. And it goes into the details, but that's not at all what I teach. I teach in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and it was a finite sentence. It was a period of time, whenever it was, he didn't explain it. But the next verse shows the earth without form and void. There's darkness and there's water. And what we find out is it was a divine judgment of destruction on the civilization that existed before he even made man. And it was a civilization of angels. Hmm. That's interesting. Can you give us a definition, in your opinion, what an angel actually is? Absolutely. So when God created the heaven and the earth, heaven was um, inhabited, if you will, by God himself. And the Trinity, if you look at it from the perspective of a Christian, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, but three together in one, one God. And then he made angels. And angels are comprised of more than one type. There are angels that are called cherubs or cherubim. Mm. There are angels called seraphim. And then uh, there are some angels that are specialized in what they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, You might've heard the name Michael. Right. And Michael is referred to as the archangel. Mm -hmm. He's something of a military general. And then you might've heard the name like Gabriel. And he appears to be more of a messenger type of an angel Mm -hmm. who brought prophecy down to men like Daniel. Mm -hmm. And then there are angels that are specialized to an even greater extent. And um, they have a specific task to do in the later times and the prophecies that are going to be fulfilled, say in the book of revelation. So they're, they're creatures that God made. And therefore by definition, they are called sons of God. Anything created is a son of God, with the exception of the one who is the son of God, who is equal with the creator. But the uh, the angels are called sons of God. Adam was called the son of God because God created him from the dust of the earth. But he's different from angels because angels weren't made of dust or dirt as man was. And that was almost an interesting thing, because when you look at the origin of Lucifer and what happened, which maybe we'll get into tonight, when God did make man, it was as if to say to Lucifer, I can do better with dirt than I did with you. 
having given you every advantage. You were the sum of perfect in wisdom, perfect in beauty. Every precious stone was your covering. You were the anointed cherub, and yet you rebelled against me. So I'm going to take dirt, and I'm going to make something that can appreciate me more than you did. Does the Bible tell what angels actually look like? Because we always get this kind of vision of a you know a, a human-like being with wings, but I'm curious if actually angels were even human-like at all in appearance. Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff, because the Bible gives several descriptions of angels. Um, Many times when angels appeared, they appeared as men. So if uh, uh, there's an account of two angels that went to rescue Lot, who was a nephew of Abraham from a city called Sodom because God was going to destroy it. And they looked like men. They, they visited Abraham and then they headed on to get Lot. And so uh, there was no reason to, to think of them as looking much different than a regular man with the possible exception. They could have been taller or they could have been something distinctive about them. But when angels appear as their true form to men in the Bible, well, almost without exception, men pass out. <laughs> they just fall flat on their face. Is there a Bible and, scripture for that? Yes, there is. Well, for example, in the book of Ezekiel mm-hmm. and in the book of um, uh, Daniel, uh, in both cases, um, Daniel, I think the first time he saw um, uh, Gabriel appear to him was in um, uh, Daniel chapter nine, excuse me. <clears throat> And he lost all his strength. He couldn't stand anymore until an angel touched him and strengthened him and he could stand in his presence. Mm. And um, but then Ezekiel, he saw cherubim. Now, cherubs are an interesting angel because they have four faces. Mm. Uh, They're described in Ezekiel chapter one and in Ezekiel chapter 10. Mm. And he calls them living creatures but they have the face of a man, an ox, a lion, and an eagle, almost representing God's animal creation. Mm -hmm. And they have, I believe, four wings. That's one of the things I have actually read in the Bible. And and I even kind of took it in a way as if he was describing like a UFO or something. I I truly believe that's very close to the truth, Jeff. I, I can't put my finger on it, but I think your explanation is as good as any because when Ezekiel saw these living creatures in chapter one of his book and chapter 10, they have a wheel. They, they move within a wheel. Mm-hmm. And he says as, as though it was a wheel uh, on its side. Mm-hmm. And I, I think of like, if you were a, you know, 500 BC prophet mm-hmm. <laughs> or something like that, your understanding of a wheel is like the wheel of a cart or a chariot. And so you and I can think of like a tire on a modern vehicle, but mm-hmm. let's, let's p- picture for a moment, like a wheel on a bicycle and it's upright. So you can roll. Well, if you described it as on its side, it would be like a disc. I'll, I'll use this as a, an example. This is just like a coaster, but mm-hmm. here's a wheel. We'll call it a wheel. And if it rolls normally, it's like this, but if it's on its side, it's like this. So, is it possible that what um, Ezekiel was seeing was a flying vehicle that these cherubim used? And they're not aliens. They're, they are extraterrestrial, though. Mm-hmm. They're actually creatures outside of the realm of Earth because they're mm-hmm. not terrestrial. But they move in these craft possibly because 
of their holiness and pureness uh, when they come into the realm of mankind where sin has entered in, this was some mechanism of protection, as it were, or separation, perhaps. Yeah, I sometimes wonder about that um, because I wonder if the Bible itself, people are making descriptions with the with the vocabulary they have. Mm-hmm. It became real to me one time when one of my children were really young and he had obviously a limited vocabulary. I don't remember if he was two or three Mm -hmm. and he felt my hair on my face, my scruff. And he said, you've got grass on your face. That's the only word he had was (laughs) grass, right? Oh, you've got grass on your face. So I, I believe in the Bible. They talk about flying chariots. Is that, is that true? Yes, uh, the prophet Elijah was taken to heaven mm-hmm. in a chariot of fire. Mm-hmm. And that could have been exactly like you're saying. That Those were the words that a, a prophet would have understood at the mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. of some form of a craft that could have been a flying craft. Right. And, um, it, and it could have looked very much like a chariot, but it could have been a, just a description of the closest thing they could think of, mm-hmm. you know to relate to their current time of modes of travel. So I'm assuming the earth was inhabited for an unknown amount of time with a, would you say that these are advanced beings, these angels, like a civilization of, of, of advanced beings of angels? I really believe that it was that to, to there's evidence. And we talk about this on my own podcast with Bible mysteries about when, when we look at the origin of evil, as we understand it in the world today, if God is love and God is pure light, then where did the darkness come from in Genesis chapter one, verse two? Why would a perfect God have needed to start with a creation that was without form and void, darkness and water? So you have to dig a little bit to find these things and unlock these things. But what we learn is there's passages again in the prophet Ezekiel that talks about a king whose name is Tyrus, Mm T-Y-R-U-S. It's Ezekiel 28. And as he describes this king, he's describing literally the cherubs we were just talking about, Mm -hmm. the four faces. Mm -hmm. And um, this particular cherub is called the anointed cherub. And we find that he had access to God. He had access to the garden of God. He was, every precious stone was his covering. And he's almost described as something like, it's as though he's like a high priest in some sense. Mm -hmm. And, And it talks about, he gets lifted up with pride and we find out he matches exactly the description of a person named Lucifer in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah chapter 14. It's the only reference of that name in the entire Bible. And, that person, Lucifer, says, I want to be God. I'm not content to stay here in this situation. I'm going to ascend up and everything else. So what we find is this one individual that was God's greatest created being decided that wasn't enough for him, and he wanted more. He wanted to be God, Mm -hmm. and he convinced a third of the angels to join him in a rebellion to take the throne of God. Mm -hmm. And all this happened in the very ancient past. Mm, That's interesting. I had watched a program once before, and I believe they referred to Lucifer as Luciferum. And I had thought on the program, I had thought on the program that he wasn't even mentioned in the Bible, but you're saying he is one time. 
He is one time, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, and um, he's called son of the morning, Lucifer, son of the morning. How art thou fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Um, and he had lifted up, uh, he says that he's going to be cut down to the ground. He weakened the nations. So when we think of mythology and we think of like the Greeks and their Titans and Mount Olympus, or we think of the, the, the stories of Atlantis and things like that, and, and we can also look maybe to archaeological records of things like pyramids and structures that, that were built that seem to have been built 10, 15,000 years ago, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, well, if the Bible record of time is to be factored in from Adam's creation till today has been about 6,000 years of human history. Mm-hmm. So if these structures truly are older than that, the only explanation that I could see in the Bible is that they were built by those angelic nations Mm -hmm. and the occupants there prior to the time perhaps, or possibly after in rebellion, but because I don't know how long it was before God said he'd had enough and he destroyed the the earth at that time or that world system, which we find the water and the flood of Noah was the second flood on the earth. The Mm -hmm. first one is found in Genesis chapter one, verse two. Yeah, I think that's an amazing idea that you just proposed there, that perhaps the pyramids and all these amazing places that you would see like on the television show Ancient Aliens yeah, may have been created by angels, you know, many, many years ago. We're all just speculating, but right. I mean, even in the show and some of the stuff I've seen, it does look like they had used some tools to create those those structures, which, you know, maybe we call them angels, but they're still advanced civilization, technological beings. I agree. And and I think the show, the premise of a show like Ancient Aliens, which I'm a fan of, and I watch too. um, And I think it's going to be the dominant paradigm taking over more and more of human thinking as time goes on, Mm -hmm. which is that when ancient prophets or ancient writings of any religion or, or any cultural history, uh, describe things that they referred to as gods or angels. They were actually aliens from advanced civilizations that visit us in the, in the distant past. I contend just the opposite. My perspective is very similar to that, but I'm thinking it was in fact, these angels and they're fallen angels, not not the original grouping. Obviously, when God created heaven and, and, and was inhabited by the angels in the beginning, there were sanctuaries that they used to worship God, according to Ezekiel 28. But this king of Tyrus, this Lucifer character, polluted and corrupted those sanctuaries. And so at some point, things turned bad with his rebellion and a third of the angels joining him in that rebellion. And then at some point God destroyed that world. So when we talk about Atlantis disappearing overnight or whatever, it could go a long way to explaining that. But I say that they were in fact angels that came back to visit fallen angels that were part of the bad group that joined Lucifer in rebellion. And uh, there's every time man interacted with them, something not good was was given or revealed and ultimately i believe there's going to be a great deception where there's a there's a war coming according to the bible where there will be a final battle of these angels Hmm. and god's angels will defeat 
Satan and his angels. It's in the book of Revelation chapter 12. Mm -hmm. And once they're defeated, they're going to be cast down to the earth and confined to the earth. So when they're cast down, they're not going to say, yeah, we fought God's angels and we lost. You know, they're not going to admit their own defeat. Mm -hmm. More than likely, they're going to travel in these wheels, if you will, these UFOs, and they're going to come down and say, we're your alien ancestors and we're ready to help you evolve to your next phase of human evolution. Mm -hmm. But that's going to be the great delusion. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's coming, mm -hmm. but that's going to be the lie, not the mm -hmm. actual truth, you know. Mm -hmm. Because the world is ready to receive something like that if it if it happened tomorrow. Mm -hmm. you know, if aliens suddenly landed and they said, hey, we're coming to solve all your problems, mm -hmm. we would welcome them with open arms. Yeah, that's true. So does the Bible <clears throat> state that they had this war and lost? And it sounds like what you're stating is that God destroyed everything and started over then with man. Is that true? And if so, mm -hmm. is that where is that in the Bible? So that's in Genesis chapter one, where we see um, in the verse one is in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Mm -hmm. And then the next verse says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So you find from verse one to verse two, there's an unknown amount of time that could have transpired mm -hmm. where this angelic civilization could have existed. But when you see the earth without form and void, that phrase in Hebrew hmm. is a phrase that's used two other times in the Bible. So a total of three times mm -hmm. that phrase without form and void is used. And in one instance, it's Isaiah 34, and it's translated as he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. And it's, relation, it's in a connection to God's divine judgment on a country called Idumea an Old Testament, you know, Edom is what it was known as as well. And then there's another one in Jeremiah chapter four, where he says, I beheld the earth and lo, it was out form and void. And it goes on to describe that all the cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. So mm -hmm. in three instances of that phrase, two are clearly designated as, as a result of God's divine judgment and wrath. Mm -hmm. Why would the third which is the first occurrence of it in Genesis 2, be any different. If God is anything, he's consistent. So then we had to look, well, why then was God's wrath poured out on the earth so that it became without form and void? And then when you go to the other passages and you piece together the history of what happened, you see that there was a rebellion of Lucifer and the angels mm -hmm. that tried to take the throne of God and they were cast out. Mm -hmm. And they were cast out of the original heaven, and there's an interesting thing as you go into Genesis chapter one and study it out when God makes the dry land appear and then he gathers the waters together and everything else. There's waters above something called the firmament and there's waters below something called the firmament. And the firmament is heaven or outer space. Hmm. So the waters below the firmament are our oceans and seas and everything on the earth. The waters above the firmament, we find out, are a gigantic frozen sea that separates God's throne in the third heaven from the second and first heaven of a tainted creation, tainted as a result of Lucifer and his sin. So do you think that there's something frozen in space? That would be yeah. these waters? I mean, It's called you the crystal sea. In the Bible. Is there something that they found cosmologically wise? Is there like 
asteroids or frozen ice particles out in space or something that could represent that? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I believe it's the source of where all that water came from mm-hmm. to flood the earth in Genesis 1 verse 2. It's also a source of the water that came to flood the, the days of Noah, because this was a global cataclysm that that rose 15 cubits above the tops of the mountains. Mm-hmm. So rain in the, in the clouds and water vapor would have not have been sufficient to raise the level of water to that extent. So there had to be another source of water and it's called the great deep. It says the fountains of the great deep were opened. And we find that much, much later in the Bible, when the revelator John Mm -hmm. writes his book, uh, he's carried up to heaven Mm -hmm. and he stands on a sea of glass and he sees the throne of God. And so the sea of glass is the same firmament that Ezekiel saw on the heads of those living creatures we talked about, the ones with the wheels. Mm -hmm. And he's looking up from the vantage point of being on the ground by a river in, um, I guess, Babylon area, what would have been known as Babylon. Mm -hmm. And he looks up to see these four living creatures. And above their heads is a firmament, he said, like the terrible crystal. And then above that is God sitting in his throne. And then John later writes of the same description. He sees four living creatures surrounding the throne of God, but he's carried up into heaven and he himself stands on the throne. So his vantage point is actually up there in the third heaven, whereas uh, Ezekiel's vantage point was on the earth looking up because the way for man to enter into heaven had had not been made clear yet, had not been opened or provided for yet until after the crucifixion of Christ. So do you believe that Lucifer and his band of angels, I'm sure you believe that they're still alive, but do you think that they're on the earth now? They are operating in the realm of the earth, but not as physical beings that you can touch yet. Um, They are spiritual creatures. So they're from another realm, if you will, but they operate through men. So what I believe and teach is their activity, they're called prince, the principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places in the book of Ephesians chapter six. And the devil himself, who is Lucifer, uh, he's originally was Lucifer, but he became the adversary, which is what Satan means, Satan, the adversary. Mm-hmm. And um, he, um, he has the ability to come to the earth but he's limited by God and what he can do. So angels couldn't just like Satan, if he could, he would kill people that he doesn't like. He can't just do that. God doesn't give him the ability to do that. So he uses men to do that. There are a group of satanic global elites that control the world that are all worshipers of Lucifer. And he uses them for his purposes, you know, And God's allowing this because he's got a plan too, but you get the idea that there's, there's ultra, ultra rich people that are beyond what we think of as billionaires in this world that basically are manipulating the scenes. So do you think that Lucifer can be manipulating them like telepathically or kind of through his energy? You know, that's a great question, Jeff. I think there's a willingness to it. And I I base that on the fact that in the book of Luke chapter four, um, that's the account you might recall that there was before Jesus began his ministry, he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. 
and uh, the devil tempted him there. And one of the temptations was in verse five, it says, and the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So time travel Mm -hmm. is Satan is capable of that. Okay. And the devil said unto him, to Jesus, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it, I, I, I'll give it to them. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Now, Jesus denied the offer. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. But he didn't rebuke the statement as being untrue. In reality, since the fall of man, the devil has control of the kingdoms of the world. So when you think about it, if he would offer all the power and glory of the kingdoms of the world to a man, the son of God here, and that man would reject it, he could offer that to any other man. And he has. And when we look and think why things never get any better, no matter who we vote for, why politics never solves any problems, the answer is not because people aren't willing to make a difference and make a change. The answer is because Satan through his global elites don't allow this change to happen. Their aim is to create chaos so they can come and bring order out of the chaos. And that's part of the great deception when he, when he arrives mm-hmm. as the, you know, the, the, the cast out serpent mm-hmm. in Revelation 12. If you don't mind, I want to switch gears here. And I'm curious, in studying the Bible, have you always had these kind of alternative viewpoints? Or when did you start looking the Bible in this way versus, I would say, more of a traditional way? Yeah, I definitely have never been a traditionalist. Um, I was, uh, you and I spoke briefly before the show started, and I too was raised in a non-religious home, no no formal church upbringing whatsoever. Um, I got interested in the Bible when I was about 15 or 16 years old. And um, interestingly enough, um, I used to have nightmares. And my nightmares were always involving, you know, when I was like 12, 13 years old, and were always involving something of my concept of the devil, you know, uh, like he was trying to get me or possess me or influence me or, you know, something like that. And I had no basis for that. I never exposed myself to any film that talked about that or read any book that talked about that. I just would have these recurring nightmares. And so by the time I um, was around 15 or 16, I had a sister that started dating a young man whose father taught a Bible class. Mm. And she encouraged me to go. And he happened to be teaching on demonology. That was the Mm. subject of the lessons at that moment in time. And he was able to show me the truth about who the devil really is, who the demons are, who the fallen angels are. And once I gained that understanding in the Bible, the nightmare stopped because, you know, you don't fear what you understand, right? You only fear what you don't understand. And then from that point forward, I guess it's been a constant study for me to delve into it. I've gone through periods where I've been more traditional, I haven't always believed and understood the way I do now from the standpoint of uh, eschatology, if you will, or what, what looks to be coming in the future. And I'm definitely probably in the minority of preachers that believe that there's a spiritual realm that we are ignoring uh, to our peril, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a little bit off the beaten path. <laughs> are there any other Bible mysteries that are like bombshell things that'll be like, whoa, 
you know, that would shock us all? Can you think of any off the top of your head? Oh, I think I could think of so many, we would run out of time, you know, but um, there's just so many interesting things like um, this war in heaven, I mentioned in Revelation chapter 12. Mm -hmm. And um, that is going to be literally Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon is Satan. Uh, that's that's a mystery that's sort of a bombshell because people don't realize that it's like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, the angels abode, the, the fallen angels, Satan and his angels, their abode is in the outer space heavens. Mm-hmm. That's their realm right now. Okay. They were once inhabitants of the earth. God, and, and he had dominion of the earth. He was sort of a king on the earth. He was a king. And then because of that rebellion, God gave dominion to man. Adam was a king and he was given dominion on the earth. Um, So this idea that Adam was built to replace Lucifer is a, is a mystery that people don't really understand or teach Mm -hmm. Uh, this idea that there's a coming war in heaven where the devil whose realm is confined to the starry heavens now, or the second heaven, according to the Bible is going to be cast down and confined to the earth and all hell breaks loose when he's here. And it's uh, everything that people have ever heard about the Antichrist and the beast and the mark of the beast. All that occurs when he's on the earth, Hmm. when he's literally here, bodily here. And then another uh, surprising mystery is um, he's the serpent in the Garden of Eden. He was the one that incited or beguiled or bewitched Eve, you know, deceived her to take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what introduced sin into the world. His aim was to do that so that he could um, cause man to die because man was not created to die. We think of death because we get old and we die. Man was created to live forever. We were Mm -hmm. never supposed to die. Death came as a result of sin, not because it was part of God's original plan. And when all things are restored, human beings will not die. They will live forever in a perfect body, young, vibrant, you know, beautiful. So uh, that's another surprising mystery that people don't realize. And that serpent in the garden was not a snake wrapped around an apple tree. He was a seven-headed red dragon. And his name is Leviathan. Interesting that you use the word dragon. Is that word actually in the Bible? It is, and several times in the Bible. He's called the dragon in Revelation 12, and he's called that old serpent, the devil. So you put them all together, you know it's the same person. That's amazing, yeah, because I've always considered the you know dragon either being in Chinese mythology, or I would assume people just found dinosaur bones of this giant thing and said, it must be a dragon. What else? You know what I mean? They made up a story about it. I didn't realize it was actually the in word the Bible. dragons is in the Bible. Yeah. The word dragons is in the Bible. The word unicorns is in the Bible. Really? Um, there's a word behemoth. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a unicorn. It could have been referring to a single horned rhinoceros, but right. you know, it could have been something else. Wow. You know, we think of our own image of a unicorn, like the new Braunfels unicorns, right. Mm-hmm. You know, but, um, but in reality, it could have been an entirely different creature that we can think of. Um, and then, yeah, dragons, and in particular, this dragon. And and in fact, he's a sea serpent. He's a sea monster, according to the book of Job. 
You know, he lives in the sea and he makes it boil like a pot. It's a fire-breathing dragon called Leviathan in the book of Psalms and in the book of Job. Wow, that's amazing. And Isaiah, come to think of it, yeah. That's amazing. And it's interesting that you said that because there was a movie or there was something at one time and I thought there was either a sea ship or an underwater ship and it was called Leviathan. And I'm assuming yeah. they, they picked that up from the Bible. I, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. And um, so, yeah, that's that um, that's that serpent that was from the original garden. And then one of the most amazing mysteries that really stands out is that, and, and it all hinges upon a statement that God made when once Adam and Eve had taken the wrong tree and ate the fruit, mm-hmm. they became mortal. Okay. Right. They took on a body of sin and God didn't kill them. He said in the day you eat it, you would die, but they didn't die that day. Something died in their place though. God sacrificed an animal and he clothed them with their skins. But before he did that, he cursed the serpent And he said that he would put enmity or division between the woman and and the serpent and between her seed and his seed. And seed is a term you would use for an offspring. Okay. So he said the seed of the woman would bruise his head, which means the destruction of the serpent. So all that Lucifer the serpent knew was that the woman was going to bring forth a child that was going to destroy him. And he didn't know what child that would be. Hmm. So Adam and Eve's first two children were twin brothers, Cain and Abel. And you might remember the story of Cain and Abel, where Abel brought a sacrifice to God from lambs, and Cain brought a sacrifice of, of vegetables that he grew. And because the ground was cursed, it was a cursed sacrifice number one. And number two, it didn't have any blood in it because without shedding of blood, there was no remission. It wasn't a proper sacrifice. So we get an expression from that. You can't get blood from a turnip. Mm -hmm. It comes from Cain's offering. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, so God did, God dismissed Cain's offering and said, you you need, if you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. So instead of going back to do the right thing, he killed his brother. Okay. He killed Abel. So the devil caused Abel. Cain to do that because he knew if Cain's heart was wrong, then he must not be the seed that would destroy him. He thought Abel would be that seed. So in killing Abel, he thought, good, I'll prevent God from bruising my head through the seed of the woman. But he didn't know that the seed of the woman was not Abel. It was a prophecy much, much later that would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So the real mystery is, as man began to populate, he didn't know which person was going to be that individual. So he thought the only way he could stop the bloodline from ever bringing forth the seed of the woman would be to infiltrate the human bloodline with fallen angel DNA. So in Genesis chapter six, a number of fallen angels came down to earth, took wives of men, men's daughters, and their children were giants. And they're called the Nephilim in the scriptures. And the earth got so corrupted because of that. They were altering the genetics of animals and of men. And the reason why God flooded the earth wasn't because man was just bad. Because man's just as sinful now as he was back then. Mm-hmm. You know, The reason God flooded the earth in the days of Noah is because all flesh had corrupted its way. Satan succeeded in getting his 
angels DNA infiltrating the human race with except one family, the family of Noah. Hmm. So God was preserving humanity through Noah and two of every kind of animal that he created originally and not the abominations that the angels were messing around with. So when we talk about UFOs and abductions and genetic experiments and things like that, it's probably these angels messing around trying to figure out more ways to do this sort of destruction. Do you think in our lifetime, Satan will be back on earth and this last war will happen? I really believe it's soon, Jeff. I think that what we're seeing in the world today is pointing to that. I'm sure in any generation, people might have thought it's near the end times, Mm -hmm. you know. So I may just be one of a billion people or one of a million people that thinks that's true. But I think the way things are lining out right now in such a way, we had in 2017, the declassification of Project Blue Book and some of the UFO files declassified by the United States government. And it's becoming clear now that we can't dismiss as weird light phenomenon or swamp gas, these craft that are buzzing around nuclear powered air, you know, aircraft carriers and whatever. So there's clearly something with advanced technology out there and it's not from this planet. You know, it's not from earth. At least it's the greatest kept secret ever. If we have the ability to move craft, you know, at right angles to take off so fast that, you know, it would kill you with G-force if you were in the craft, you know, Mm -hmm. then that coupled with how the world seems to be plunging more and more into chaos. And there's a coming antichrist that's supposed to bring order out of the chaos. We see most of the world today in the hands and control of a handful of people. There used to be 300 different media outlets in the United States 20 something years ago, independent stations, newspapers, you name it. Now all media is controlled by six people, Mm -hmm. six corporations. Mm -hmm. And when you think of the big tech giants and the money and the power they have to control information, you're seeing a culmination of the, of the limiting of our ability to, to sort through anything that's not true. Then we had this pandemic And say what you will about it. I'm not here to make any moral judgments about people's reaction to the virus or anything like that. But I do believe this was a means test by the satanic global elite to see if the human race was ready to forfeit every bit of liberty they had for security or safety. And it proved that men are so afraid of dying from a cold virus that they were willing to give up just about anything. And if, in my opinion, if Satan were to come down and appear as an alien and say, we're here to help humanity evolve, they're going to have the technology to give us all the answers, to solve all the problems, to unite everybody. And they're going to say, take this vaccine. If you take this vaccine, you'll move up in the evolutionary scale to be like us. And I have a feeling that that, mark or vaccine is going to alter their genetics in such a way that they will become like the Nephilim hybrids that cannot be redeemed because God's plan of redemption was for mankind, not for the hybrids. Hmm. So that's why I think that we may be closing in on the very time when it could happen in our lifetime. 
Isn't there some other things in Revelation, like the Mark of the Beast and 666? I guess that's the same thing. And other things that you might be able to see today going on? Exactly. Some people think that, you know, things like a vaccine could be a precursor to a mark of the beast. I don't believe it's the mark itself because Mm -hmm. the mark is going to come from Satan himself, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, I think that you're seeing the unify. There's a, this great reset they're talking about is essentially a way to eliminate the nation state and to bring about a unified global governance, which is, it's going to happen. And there's going to be 10 Kings in the book of revelation that are going to preside over that. And who better to do that than the most wealthy trillionaires. And literally there are trillionaires on this planet that you don't know who they are. Uh, According to Luke chapter four, they would have been the worshipers of Satan. Wow. It all makes sense what you're saying. I mean, I totally agree. I mean, it, you know, more things seem to be pointing in that direction. But we, but then again, we could also just, everybody says that within every generation too. So it's hard to really, you know, to know for sure. It's a fair statement. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people thought Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist and mm-hmm. somebody thought another person was the Antichrist. I don't know that there's a single person you can point to that fits that description. He's going to be a charismatic leader that will unite the whole world. And at some point he's going to be killed by a simple sword wound Mm. uh and then three days later he's going to rise from the dead and that's the exact moment satan is cast out of heaven and he enters into the body of that person who's a human being Mm. but when he enters into that body from that point forward he's known as the beast Uh, and he's sort of like satan incarnate if you will okay that's interesting i didn't real i didn't know that it plays out that way yeah, it plays out that way. And what he does is he they make an image of him like a statue and they place it in. And like right now, the nation Israel, there's a city called Jerusalem, but the temple of God is not there because there's a mosque on the site of the temple. Mm. Evidently, something's going to happen to where that temple will be rebuilt before he comes because they're going to start the old Jewish sacrifices again in that temple. And he's going to come in and put this image in there and declare himself to be God and essentially desecrate the temple. This is in the book of Daniel chapter nine mm-hmm. and Matthew 24. And when he does, that's the sign to people from that era to run and get out of Judea or Israel and flee into the wilderness. So he's on a rampage at that point. The devil at that point is confined to the earth. He's going to persecute the believers with a huge vengeance and there's three and a half years of basically utter hell on the earth before the return of the Lord, which is prophesied at the end of the time of this period, which is called the tribulation. Jesus is supposed to return. So is that what you're, you're speaking of when you're saying the return of the Lord? That's right. He's supposed to come back in revelation 19 He comes back with an army of angels Mm -hmm. uh, and he comes back on a horse. And so he doesn't come back this time meek and lowly as he did when he appeared the first time. He comes back this time with as a victorious military type leader. Mm -hmm. And he literally destroys the armies of those um, antichrist soldiers that are going to be, you know, uh, these human hybrid whatevers. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the antichrist himself will be cast into a, a lake of fire. And then you were talking about angels earlier and different kinds of angels. There is a particular angel in the book of Revelation chapter 20, and his job is to take the dragon, Lucifer, 
wrap him in a chain and throw him in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. Hmm. <laughs> and people think, boy, I wouldn't want to meet the devil in a dark alley. And I say, I don't want to meet that angel in a dark alley. Yeah. If he's bad enough to wrap the dragon in a chain, Leviathan, then I hmm. think I would probably pass out if I saw him, you know. What are your recommendations for the average people to do if, you know, this all starts to play out? Absolutely. Well, what the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus Christ is the hope of mankind, that he's the one, he is the seed of the woman that's going to bruise the head of the serpent. So when he died on a cross, it was to die to pay for the sins of mankind so that we could have a relationship back with God that got interrupted or uh, interfered with when the serpent deceived Eve and Adam willingly took of the fruit and introduced sin into the world. So he's the only hope that man has because he's the gap. He bridges the gap between man separated from God. So he's called the mediator. And simply believing on him, trusting that he died for you personally, having a relationship with him places you in the position of being delivered from the wrath to come. So we've been living nearly 2,000 years in a time when God has not been pouring wrath out like he's done in the past with the floods we talked about and other things. But there is a day of wrath coming, this time not with water, but with fire. And so to be delivered from the wrath to come is what people need. It doesn't matter what happens on the earth if this vaccine or something next or whatever, or this pandemic or that, whatever's going to happen it doesn't matter what it is, because if you have a relationship with Christ, you're delivered from the wrath to come. So my recommendation is that people call on the Lord to be saved, believe on Jesus Christ to be saved. It doesn't matter who you are. There's no special thing to do. You don't need religion. You know, you don't need churches and people leading you. You're not saved by a church. You're saved by believing on a person who died for you. And once you do that, and you've got that relationship, God does the rest. It's a spiritual thing that takes place. Mm -hmm. Then no matter what happens on the earth, you're going to be delivered from what's coming. Mm -hmm. And there's a day when he's going to basically say, okay, time to go. And he's going to catch out those believers and we'll never see the wrath that's going to fall on the earth. So that's my recommendation is that people believe on Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. to be saved from the coming wrath. All right. I have another question, but I I just realized um, that we have um, a comment, a question here. So let me catch that before my question is. You bet. um, It says, this great war that's talked about in the Bible between God and the falling angels has been spoken about for thousands of years. What's the holdup? When is this going to happen? And why is there a delay? That's a great question. Well, the delay has something to do with... um, there's a passage in in Second Peter chapter three that says uh, it talks about the it actually talks about God's long suffering, which is persevering and waiting, being patient. And I'm going to turn to it so I can read it properly because I don't want to misstate it. Mm-hmm. And it says, um, "Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day." Now, that's an interesting passage, and that's another mystery that we talk about. Mm. But it's sort of like a formula to understand that when God created the earth in six days and he rested on the seventh day, 
Those are literal 24-hour periods. The Bible makes it clear that it's an evening and a morning. There's a day. So this formula is referring to something else. The, the six days of the week and the seventh day of rest is a picture or type of the entire prophetic program. So from Adam to Christ was 4,000 years. From Christ to today has been about 2,000 years. So that's four plus two or six, 6,000 years or six days, according to this formula. Mm -hmm. Meaning that when Christ comes back at the end of the sixth day, the seventh day will begin. When he comes back, it's the Sabbath or seventh, the rest of God. And in that time, the lamb lays down with the lion we beat swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. Nobody goes hungry for a thousand years. The day of the Lord. One more day. So I believe the 6,000 years need to expire before the 7,000 year period can begin, which is the day of the Lord. And that to me explains the time. Hmm. That to me explains the long suffering of God. And so I guess we're 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 pretty close on the end of that 6,000 years then. If if time is any factor, and I have no possible way of knowing, Jesus mm. Christ was crucified in the year 33 AD. So theoretically, the year 2033 would be the end of two days. Right. Or a total of six when you count the four days before Adam to Christ. Mm. So it could be that 13 years are left. <laughs> Now, I have no idea if that's true. God could tarry a hundred years if he wants to, you know. Uh-huh. It just means I'm wrong. It doesn't uh-huh. mean he's wrong. <laughs> At first it was, uh-oh, it, it, the year 2000, Y2K, everything's going to go crazy. And then yeah. it was like, uh-oh, it, according to the Mayan calendar, at 2012, everything's going to be finished. Wow. Now maybe as it gets yeah. closer, they'll say, at 2033, it's over. And and the thing that's so tricky about it, Jeff, is the the calendar we use today is different because we have a Julian calendar and it's right. solar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and God's original calendar in the Hebrew was a lunar calendar. Mm-hmm. Every month had 30 days only, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, it's an interesting, you know, when you factor all that in, you're, you're going to be off somehow by some degree of, of or some amount. But I mm-hmm. think it's roughly in the ballpark. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I was just thinking about that when you were talking about when was it decided that there are seven days in a week? When did we decide, okay, we're going to go by weeks and that there's seven days? And You know what I mean? Do you have any idea when yeah. that was decided or is that in the Bible? That's such a great question. It is in the Bible, but it's interesting to note that every culture in every society has recognized seven days to a week, 30 days to a month, you know, whatever, 24 hours to a day. They, they all came to this universally different languages, different upbringings, different regions of the world. And so in the Bible, we see the six days. And then uh, on the seventh day, God rested. And then he sanctified that day. And later on, when he codified it in the law of Moses, and he told them, you would labor six days on the seventh day, you'll rest. There was there had been an understanding of the days of the week all that time. And seven is a very interesting number in the Bible. God works in seven, and it's a, it's a number that represents spiritual perfection. And you see it all around you. So you've got the, the completion of a week is seven. There's seven notes and a scale of music, uh, the eighth being the octave uh, that repeats. Mm-hmm. There's seven primary uh, 
prismatic colors in the spectrum. You know, sevens are replete in the Bible. So there's something about that that's almost factored into creation, you know. And you could do that with other numbers as well, but that's, you get the idea. God's a mathematician. You know, the way eight is, if you turn it sideways, I believe that's the sign for infinity. Is there men, any mention mm-hmm. of that in the Bible or the number eight in general? Not that I'm aware of. And, and what's interesting is, you know, our Arabic numerals are a somewhat modern invention. Uh, the Bible was written in uh, Hebrew and Greek, and neither of those languages had numerals. They didn't have characters for numbers. They used the letters of their alphabet for numbers. Oh. Yeah. So the symbols we know as one, two, three, four, five are, are did not exist in the language that the Bible was written in originally. Right. And therefore, you know, when you would take the, the letters of the Greek alphabet, you might have alpha, beta, gamma, and that was one, two, three. So when you had to write a number, you use the letters for the number. Right. Much like Roman numerals are when you think of like the Roman numeral X, XII is 12. And I'm assuming that the Romans got that from the Greek then because the Greek society was pre-Roman. So maybe they were the, the first ones they, to come up with that system. They likely did. And I'll tell you something interesting about Roman numerals that you might find kind of fascinating because we, you brought it up earlier. The number 666. Mm-hmm. The Roman numeral for one is I. Mm-hmm. And for five is V for um, 10 is X for um, 50 is L Mm -hmm. for 100 is C Mm -hmm. and 500, I believe is D. Right. And those are the only letters of the Latin alphabet that were used for numbers. And when you add them together, they equal 666. Oh, wow. That's interesting. <laughs> I'll figure that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. All right. So um, you have your podcast. You have your YouTube channel. Do you have any projects that you're working on right now that you'd like us to know about? Like, are you working on a book or anything else? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I am actually working on a book right now. It's it's in the early stages. It's in the early works. Uh, it's going to tie in somewhat to the podcast Bible Mysteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, the working title at the moment is called The World That Was, and we're going to mm-hmm. go into really great detail about this angelic civilization and that resulting rebellion in the past and God making man to replace uh, Lucifer. M- much of what we talked about today, but with much, much references and scripture to, mm-hmm. to back it up. And then... Um, the, uh, the podcast is going to continue. We are getting ready to start delving into um, the satanic global elite. And probably after the first of the year, we're going to be dealing with trying to expose some of that that's going on with as much as we can glean mm-hmm. through what's happening there. Uh, and then I'll continue to do short videos for the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. I've got a new one that will be coming out probably in the next 10 days or so. And it's called In the Genes, and it's going to be about the um, the uh, fallen angels' attempt to manipulate human DNA from the past and how they may be trying to do it again. All right, so, well, yeah, lots going on. What is the name of your YouTube channel? I'm going to put a link anyways in there, but 
Well, what is the name of your channel? So for people, well, the name of the YouTube channel is also Bible Mysteries. And I'll admit, I am not a very tech savvy person when it comes to social media. Mm -hmm. So I haven't been able to figure out how to make it more prominent for you to find. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the easiest way to get there is to just go to my ministry website, which is simply utbnow.com. UTB now is short for unlock the Bible now. So utbnow.com, and you can select any one of our social media links. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And you can also uh, go on to the uh, podcast from there, Mm -hmm. um, which is hosted through Captivate, but you can subscribe, of course, through Spotify, through Apple, through any of the, uh, any of the services. Mm -hmm. And then we also do an online study every Wednesday night which you can join from the website UTB now just click online study and it'll bring up a form where you can send me if you're we just request an invitation I'll send you the zoom link hmm. so people can join that and there's just literally hundreds of audio bible lessons that you can listen to if you want to go back and delve into some of these topics more deeply oh that's great so every wednesday night at what time for the live at stream at 730 central time Right. We do one hour mm-hmm. and then we, we take questions at the end mm-hmm. and uh, we usually have a fun time. It's a zoom meeting. You can, you know, you don't have to turn on your camera or anything. Just mm-hmm. come join us and you can listen. And then um, I usually have a topic in mind, but sometimes I'll ask you for questions. Mm-hmm. So it's we, every now and then we just like to see what's on your mind, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, enough of listening to me. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear what you have mm-hmm. to think and, and say, and we'll, we'll dig into the scriptures together. Now, you are also the pastor of Grace Family Bible Church. Um, mm-hmm. Are you currently, or have you considered doing your church online, like as a, li- a YouTube live stream? Yeah, we have in the past, we used to do some live streaming and uh, circumstances change where techno- technically it's not feasible to do right now. But uh, we will probably consider doing that again in in the future. But I do record the messages every Sunday Mm -hmm. and post them as audio lessons online. Mm -hmm. So it's not the same as being there if you were watching it live, I realize. But the only Mm -hmm. difference is you'd be looking at my face and that's not that exciting. But uh, if you uh, if you hear the podcast uh, or you listen to the audio lessons, you're going to essentially get a feel for what we do on Sunday as well. All right, Scott, before we wrap it up here, do you have one last message you want to leave us with? I think if there was a message I'd want to leave you with, it's that there's no reason to fear what's coming in the future, even if we're off by 100 years. Uh, there's a time when these things are going to happen. So the main thing people need to do is not be uncertain about their future. You know, you can put that to rest. You can settle in your heart that you know where you're going to be for eternity. And it's, it's a matter of just having that relationship like I was talking about. And um, because if, if God is, is, if the Bible's untrue, then God's a liar and he's not worthy of our worship and we're wasting our time, you know. But if the Bible is true, and I believe that it is, then God has a lot of wonderful things to reveal to you. To you. And all he's asking is that you'll accept it, you know. So my, my aim is for people that are searching, um, I, I ask them not to ignore that because I consider that something I call divine discontent. It's a phrase I stole from C.S. Lewis. Hmm. And to me, if you have an unrest or an uncertainty, that's probably God trying to say to you, hey, I really want to know you and I want you to know me. And I want you to don't ignore that. I want you to heed that and search him out. 
he's not far from any one of us. He really does want to have a relationship with you. All right, great. All right, Scott. Well, I really appreciate it. Um, whenever you get this book out, let me know so we can have you back again and we can talk about your book. I would love to, Jeff. That would be an honor. And I thank you so much for that. I will definitely keep you posted. All right, great. All right, well, have a great evening and um, take care. You too, Jeff. Thanks again. And, and thank you to all your listeners and watchers. All right. Bye-bye. Have a great night. Bye-bye. You too.